0: to Complete Stories, a podcast series made by four environmental science students based in Amsterdam. We want to share what we learn about climate change, sustainability and society as we explore issues our world is facing.
1: Welcome to episode zero of Complete Stories. Systems thinking. My name is Gwendolyn and with me in the studio are Kiki, Eva and Pete. We all study future planet studies at the University of Amsterdam. And that's an interdisciplinary studies focusing on sustainability and climate change.
2: Yeah, in this episode, episode zero, we will introduce you to an important foundational concept that you will need when you listen to the rest of our episodes. And this concept is systems thinking. So in order to explain to you what that is, we'll actually tell you a little story. The story of the wolves of Yellowstone Park.
0: So I'm going to tell you a story about Yellowstone National Park, which was the world's first national park established in 1872. It's one of the biggest in the United States, spanning almost 9000 square kilometers. For a very long time, Packs of grey wolves roamed the area until every last one of them disappeared almost 70 years ago. And when big predators disappear, their prey can live undisturbed. The elk is one of the largest mammals in North America. Family of the deer, the bulls sport majestic antlers on top of their heads for most of the year. Without the wolves to hunt them, the population grew. More and more hungry elk grazed the grass, gnawed at the shrubs and bit the bark of trees. Thousands of elks filled their hungry stomachs and fewer plants saw the light of day. Until, humans decided it was time to bring back the wolves with great unforeseen consequences. When the wolves came back, an abundant buffet was waiting for them. Hunting their prey, the grey wolves made the elk population dwindle and had to survive shy away from open fields, seeking safe refuge in the forest. As the remaining elk hit, plants blossomed, trees standing tall again welcoming back birds who had flown. And as the wolves added coyotes to their menu, rabbits and mice were given a chance. Inviting the prying eyes of foxes and weasels, what the wolves left was eaten by bears and bald eagles. Beavers used the trees to build dams, sharing them with otters, fish and amphibians. The rivers flowed more slowly now moving gently along the banks they had previously betted. So, surprisingly and amazing as this sounds, bringing back the wolves, carved out a new path for the rivers.
1: Yellowstone Park is a great example of how things can be connected to each other in ways that seem impossible to predict. But, what if we tried? We promised this story would help us explain what systems thinking is. Well, it isn't called an ecosystem for nothing. Small changes in a system in one place can result in very surprising and sometimes massive changes somewhere else. Yeah, and someone who
2: spent most of her life devoted to systems thinking is Donella Meadows. She was a biophysicist and she defined um, systems as an interconnected set of elements that is coherently organized in a way that achieves something. And this is a very big definition, maybe, so let's just look at the first part. An interconnected set of elements. And then if we think about the Yellowstone story, these elements can be the wolves and the beavers and the plants and the river, and all these things are interconnected in several ways. Um, So the river is indirectly connected to the wolf through the deer and the beaver, but then also the wolf drinks from the river, so then the wolf is actually connected to
1: the river directly as well. So according to Meadows, these elements are coherently organized. And even though something might seem chaotic and outcomes seem very unpredictable, systems thinking tries to unravel this organization to see what relationships can be found between the elements of the system. And this isn't just limited to the natural world like ecosystems. You can see the global economy as a system, And it connects businesses and people through money flows. And that system is part of society, which could also be seen as a system. And that, again, is a subsystem of the climate system regulating our planet. And all these parts making up these systems are influencing each other in different ways. So you can have bigger systems like climate and increasingly smaller subsystems. Like our bodies and maybe even a cell within our body.
2: Yeah, so actually, like you're saying, you can alternate and you can zoom in on... The cell in your body you can also zoom out Mm -hmm. and try to see the whole system and all the different parts and um, see how they're connected so Mm -hmm. for example when you're studying an ant colony you can see the ant colony as a whole and you see the different ants and they have all their their own little function you know and they're all functioning but then also you can zoom in on a single ant and you can try to figure out the anatomy of the ant and maybe if you know the way the ant works it can explain something
1: from the bigger system, from the whole colony. Yeah, but you would also need to zoom out, right? To understand that system as a bigger whole. So you can't just see the small part of the ant. You have to zoom out as well and combine that knowledge. Exactly. And
2: there's actually a really, there's a really fun story that uh, one of our teachers told us. And it's about this, um, there's all these different blind guys and Mm -hmm. they're all touching an elephant. And one is touching the tail and then one is touching its nose and one is touching its belly. Mm -hmm. And then they try to explain to each other what they're feeling. So the one touching the tail is like, oh my God, it's a snake. And the one on the belly is like, oh, this is a rock. And the one on the nose thinks it's, I don't know, something else. And then these small parts, they can't explain that if you put them together, Mm -hmm. like if you put a snake and a rock
1: together, it's not an elephant, right? But then when you zoom out you can see the elephant. But when we say it like this, it seems like we are outside of these systems, like looking at them and trying to understand them. But we are part of these systems and all our actions can influence and change them.
2: So we can look at the ecosystem in Yellowstone and see the influence the wolves have. But why were they absent in the first place? As the human population grew in the 1800s, wolves and livestock increasingly encountered one another. And this resulted in livestock losses. And then as a result, the wolves were hunted by the human and their pelts were sold. So in just 12 years, 136 wolves were killed, resulting in the gray wolf disappearing from Yellowstone Park and eventually being classified as endangered. So reintroducing them in 1995 has
1: moved them off the endangered wildlife list. So this reintroduction meant that humans were intervening again. And the story of Yellowstone is not only capable of telling us that what we do can have unexpected outcomes, but also that we might lack the knowledge to fully understand what is happening in the first place. There are many other predators in this famous story that also hunt elk. Mountain lions, uh, bears and the coyotes from the story, but also humans. So recently this
2: famous story was debunked when scientists presented new research. The elk population didn't actually decrease because of the wolves, but because of a particularly bad drought, and legalized hunting by humans just outside of Yellowstone Park. And the river's path and the return of certain trees had much more to do with precipitation patterns than with wolves. So the story oversimplifies the complexity of the system.
1: It can be so overwhelming to try and see all of these connections and try to understand what you can do if you want to change things. Like trying to prevent climate change, trying to provide food security, trying to um, increase development.
2: Yeah, but before we get ahead of ourselves and try to solve all the world's problems, let's just look at a couple of things that are important to know when we're looking to change the system. And here to help us with that is Professor Kralis Remmelt. He's an assistant professor in environmental geography and
1: development studies at the University of Amsterdam. He focuses on political ecology, inclusive development, -development, post-development, degrowth and system science, which means he uses systems thinking in his research. Hello, and thank you for joining us, Professor Ramot.
3: Hi, thank you. Thanks for the invitation.
1: Um, We were wondering, what made you interested in systems?
3: Um, I think uh, the world. (laughs) (laughs) The world being so complex and... uh, and, uh, and trying to, to figure it out, trying to, to figure out why problems are there, why some of these problems are so persistent, uh, why they're difficult to change, why the solutions seem to never really or almost never like, hit the spot.
1: The, the fact that it's so complex makes it very interesting. The, the definition by Meadows uh, that we have is a system is an interconnected set of elements that is coherently organized in a way that achieves something and it sounds weird right it, it sounds a little bit vague and it sounds like a system is an entity um, could you explain that
3: yes a good question um so she doesn't mean you know that there is uh, that the system is sort of uh, alive and has this consciousness and is actually trying to reach a particular goal and making everyone do what uh, what is good to reach that goal there is a sort of consciously you know human conscious type of thing mm-hmm. so that it's a system goal more as a, a goal that emerges from all the interactions and that emergent goal then also comes back as if and feeds back again on on individual interactions to make them follow that goal you see that and more broadly in you know capitalist economies they need the the system goal is growth in my opinion mm-hmm. and growth at all expenses so it has it is growth at the expense of the environment it's growth at the, at the expense of of people who suffer from environmental impacts or from injustices in the production system so it grows and grows, and, and and that growth also then becomes the goal that people chase after, um, ideologically, but also because they have to; otherwise, they outcompeted. And so that is to me like the ultimate big system goal that we are that we have currently, and that's a big problem.
1: Yeah. So how do you use systems thinking in your work?
3: So you use it, I I, I guess, to simplify in a. In an intelligent way, so uh, we know that uh, that our brains can't really cope with sort of grappling with too many connections at the same time. So systems thinking helps to uh, to understand, I think, to go to root causes of of of. Um, of issues so for me it's you know environmental issues and social issues social justice issues that are that i'm very concerned about or eco, ecological justice issues so systems thinking helps in understanding that it's okay to simplify um mm-hmm. but in a in a it's pushed in a certain direction so to keep sort of questioning the edges of your system like what do you put in what do you ignore what are you consciously ignoring and the way simplicity is approached with, with systems thinking is that you don't sort of keep it at bay, right? You don't keep the complexity away. You just you you sort of jump into it and keep going back and forth and exploring what is okay to simplify.
1: What we saw with Yellowstone, how... Uh, we think we understand it at one point and then it turns out that how we see it was way too simple and it, it is more complex. And as humans, we, we are intervening, right? So we are the reason the wolves were gone. We are the reason that they were put back there. Um, and we are trying to understand these these systems. But would you say that maybe uh, as humans, we have a tendency to... to try and control and organize these systems a little bit too much
3: yeah definitely sim- to sort of oversimplify and then come up with a solution or or jumping very quickly to solutions because um, we don't like to feel uncomfortable for too long analyzing particular problems right and the complexity of problems we see a problem we quickly think okay where's the solution and then we overlook obviously a lot of important connections. Um, and maybe we feel well it's too complex to understand anyway but just let's do stuff you know and and uh, here I think there's something interesting happening because it's okay to do stuff it's important to do stuff um, but it's important to then also stay with again with analyzing what how does that then work in this system you know where what is it leading to Uh, And what are then you know what are these unintended consequences? So so it's not that you just should only analyze a problem and only then when you fully understand the problem, then let's get into action. I think the idea is with systems thinking and, and action. You know, bringing in some action, a policy or a change or an intervention. That that's that's very good because that's the only way also that you can understand certain processes of change that you can't understand if you don't intervene. So. There must be some intervention. Also, you know, if you when you're dealing with particular environmental, social problems, obviously you, you you want to sort of contribute. Maybe not intervene, but at least contribute in the transformation and be part of some change.
1: And and I think that this touches a little bit on an on an ethical question as well, because who has the power to intervene in this system and who has the um, who has the voice to say what the system should change into? I think is a very important thing to to then realize as well. And and how how would you, what would you advise us to do to take that into account?
3: Yeah, that's the that's the core of the issue. I think you you worded it very well. I think that that uh, that's the whole thing and the the whole idea when you say intervention again is you know I'm coming in from the outside maybe with some knowledge that those those communities or or don't have over there where I'm trying to intervene and do something so for example um, we went into um, communities in Bangladesh with this perspective ah you have a problem of arsenic in in your drinking water Um, there's all these different technologies you know Mm -hmm. you can you can use and um but then um we also with the colleagues that we were working with in bangladesh we were aware of this problem of this pitfall that you're coming with a particular perspective on the problem and then people there uh when you listen to what they say they actually point out other problems that have priority so I remember one village we went to, the, the people said, but yeah, yeah, you know, here's the drinking water and, uh, installation and it broke down and we don't have the means to do anything. But actually, you know, our problem is that children can't cross the road here be- and they need to cross the road to go to school and it's a busy road, it's dangerous, so we don't have a, a, a school, like a basic school here on this side of the road. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then they wanted to show us something like a, an old building that used to be a school and, and then my colleague said, OK, you know, let's uh, do something about that. And then uh, so we start collecting some materials, see if there was someone who could uh, do some basic educational activities over there. And the entry points, and that was an interesting process because I'm sure that others, you know, with a particular agenda, they said, well, no, I'm sorry, but we have budget for this. We don't have budget to support you to set up this local school. Mm -hmm. And we had that freedom. We were lucky. We had a a particular way of funding that made us more flexible. So to be aware of that flexibility, I think, is the first step. How flexible are you to actually be really adaptive and really open to listening to what uh, people's priorities are locally? And, you know, then that can lead to, again, working on the drinking water problem. And that's fine. At some point that comes up because it is, of course, also a priority for them. It's just that um, they often, they're generally not listened to, uh, and and showing that you are willing to listen and actually take it seriously and do something then with them, that made that made all the difference because then you have created some basis of trust and some of that power relation is a little bit, not saying it's gone, but it's it's sort of uh, taken care of to some extent.
1: Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is that it's very important for information to be shared, not only for you to figure out uh, what the elements are, what their connections are within this system, but also to decide what kind of interventions you would want and to have everybody contribute to that, instead of, like, for example, one government or one company or person deciding uh, how this system, system should change and what the outcomes should, should be of an intervention.
3: Yeah, it, it also makes you think more critically, okay, what am I what is my role here, what can I do as part of a change towards something that you feel or a group of people together feel would be better.
1: How do you feel about the time that we have left to to change things, for example when we look at climate change?
3: Yeah, um, I think that you can say that those things those changes are already happening, have been happening for a long time. Uh, we might not yet see the effects of uh, what's been going on. So so to say that the current system is a, is a sort of growth, neoliberal growth capitalist system that dominates everything is not exactly true because it doesn't dominate everything. It, it tries to dominate everything that we do and to commodify everything in the pursuit of that system goal. So there is, again, linking to Meadows, you may have a bigger sort of overall system goal, but that doesn't mean that there are no contradictory goals within or at the lower sort of system levels. And, um, and I think that they're everywhere. I think there's a lot of them, people who, have, who are seeing certain things that, you know, the system is not actually rewarding certain ideas or wishes or desires or drives that the current system doesn't allow them to do. And that they want to do differently, and then you see, uh, like uh, in, in the sort of ocean of capitalist growth, you see all sorts of little islands of of initiatives in various sectors and various places that are trying to do things differently and pursue different um, principles and goals. So it could be that it could be, you know, if when I'm in my in an optimistic mood, that it could start to really speed up and and uh, and. That from within those you know, cracks of the system, something else emerges and takes over. Um, and that's what we sort of, I think we all need to hope. Right? You don't really have a choice but to hope for that. Yeah. But I think that it has to come from emergence. There's a lot of people talking about the system and what it's doing, you know, the environmental and social and financial um, crises that it's causing. That are talking about it through a systems lens and saying that the change must emerge. You know, it has. It's something that's emergent, and that's a, a property of systems. Um, and I think that's a very nice property, interesting property of systems. Something interesting emerges from the current structure. Something different.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a wonderful way to end this. Uh, interview uh, on a hopeful note. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on Complete Stories. Thanks.
3: Thanks for the interesting conversation.
2: I really like that interview. Mm-hmm. I think it was uh, ending on quite a positive note. It just takes some time to see a system change, right? You hope that positive changes are happening, of course, yeah. um, contributing to making the system better. But then what is
1: making the system better? Yeah, and who says what is better? And um, I think there we touch on sustainability, yeah. because in the end we will, uh, or let's say we <laughs> we hope that we are moving towards a sustainable future, right? And that's what we are trying to contribute to with this podcast, with sharing information on, on what, all the episodes that are to come, all the topics that we are going to discuss. Um, and I think that that sort of sustainable future that we are trying to, to reach has to be uh, sustainable for everybody. So all humans,
2: all non-humans. Yeah, including everyone, including nature, including animals, including humans. We're part of the system, as we were saying, right?
0: Yeah, Yeah.
2: We're not the ones, you know, we're not the big puppet masters uh, changing the system. We're, We're part of the system and we're part of the system change.
1: Yeah, so that means that we need to zoom out and we need to try to understand these systems around these problems and try to see these parts and how they are connected and try to see where we can contribute to change, where we can intervene. So hopefully we've contributed a little bit with this episode and helped you out to understand what systems are and how they work a little bit. Um, And yeah, we hope to see you on the next episode of Complete Stories. In this episode, we gave you an introduction into systems thinking and we talked about systems elements and their interactions about how systems thinking is used, and how complex they are. In the upcoming episodes, we will discuss different complex issues and explore
2: them from a systems perspective. We will try to give you a complete story and hand you the knowledge to figure out how to intervene and create a more sustainable future. Our studies
1: guide us in selecting topics. We wouldn't be anywhere without the experts who guide us along the way. So for this episode, a thank you to Professor Kreles Ramot and soon-to-be Dr. Donja Danesh. Now that you have an idea about systems, the
2: following episode tackles palm oil. It is perhaps the most hated vegetable oil.
1: But is this hate warranted? We will apply systems thinking to figure this out. So for every episode, a poem based on a topic is written and performed by Eva. So please enjoy... Thank you for listening. Join us next week for episode one of Complete Stories, The Palm Oil Dilemma.
0: Intervene to intervent. What does it mean when something straight has to bend? A wolf kills, a river lives, but it's not that simple as it seems it is. Humans try to influence and organize, but hogs don't give a shit they will eat the mice. Systems will be together and on their own, its complexity rules are not set in stone. But let's see what it means when there are no ends, and maybe then the river bends.
1: The views, thoughts and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts and opinions of the University of Amsterdam. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes only. The University of Amsterdam name and all forms and abbreviations are the property of its owner and its use does not imply endorsement of or opposition to any specific organization, product or service.